you have your Bible this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I also appreciate Kathy uh, playing during the communion. You know, sometimes we overlook that, but uh, uh, open the eyes of my heart was really speaking to me today, and I appreciate so much her faithfulness to do that. Real hope. Real hope is what we're talking about. Pure hope. I, I ran across a love story this week. It's, it's uh, a, kind of an amazing story. It's a true story. G.K. Chesterton, and uh, at 22, at age 22, he was an atheist. He was an agnostic. He didn't either hated God or he didn't believe that there was one. He wasn't sure which one that was. But he, he just didn't, he didn't want to have anything to do with church. At age 22, he was invited over to a friend's house, and he sat next to a, a young woman in, in a green outfit. He remembered exactly, he said it was sleeveless, so that was kind of shocking uh, in England at that time. And she had red hair. Her name, by the way, was uh, Frances Blog. Uh, we have blogs today, but this is a different kind of blog. He said later it was love at first sight. Uh, he wrote her a note within the first week that he met her, and, and this is one of the things he said. He, he said, immediately, I, I, I'm just crazy about you. I adore you. And she wrote back that she didn't even know who he was. And the, in his response, he says, to the world you may be one person, but I want you to know, but to one person you are my world. Wow. He eventually won her over. He adored her, loved her to the end of his life. G.K. Chesterton was uh, a brilliant writer. In fact, many people say that he was a genius, but he was also kind of scattered. He, he needed someone to care for him, and, and not only did she become his wife, but she became uh, someone who kept him out of trouble on a regular basis. One day, uh, he, he was forever getting wrong where he was supposed to be, and one day he wired to her back at the house, had to have someone bring her a wire, and said, I am at Market Harbor, where ought I to be? He knew he had missed his appointment somewhere. She wired back, nowhere, you have no appointments today, come home. What's amazing is she also led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Because of Francis Blog, G.K. Chesterton became a noted apologist, a noted Christian author, a noted uh, author that influenced many people of his time. Because of G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis said, I finally realized what faith could be. And C.S. Lewis said, I would never become a Christian without G.K. Chesterton. He died at 62, his wife by his side. And he woke up and he says, oh, my love, my beloved, still with me. And she said, to the last breath. I mean, that's amazing stuff. And what I'm telling you is we have the hope of that kind of a love relationship, not with a woman on this earth, not with a man on this earth. We have that kind of a relationship available to us with Jesus Christ, who adored us so much, who gave so much, who died in our place for us. And the pure hope that we have, the only pure hope that we have is that. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 gives us a glimpse of that. It says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is our pure hope. There is nothing else. It's not, about, it's not about a system. It's not about politics. It's not about a government. It's not about doing the right thing at the right time. It's a pure love relationship with Jesus Christ who loved us and died for us. 
I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at this just briefly today, but I want to look at two sections. And the first section is all wrapped up in this. There is pure hope in what Jesus Christ did. Because here's where we're going. Our life with Christ should produce a pure hope because of that love relationship. Our life with Jesus Christ should produce that love, that, that hope, that pure hope, and transform how we live because of how much we love him and how much he loved us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, when you read this, you're going to say, wow, where is he getting this? You'll, you'll get it. But look at, at chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone uh, of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? What is he saying here? By the way, he uses the phrase, do you not know, five times in this, in this chapter. He's saying, listen, you're Christians and you're taking other Christians to court. If there's anyone who loved to see, sue anyone more than Californians, it was the Greek. We live in a litigious state, but believe me, the Greek, they, the Greek people, they had this down. They would sue over anything. If you went to a friend's house and the meat was overcooked, they would, they would sue one another over how well done the meat was. Yeah, I know. Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? And I'm assuming that's fallen angels. It could be messengers. But we're, we're going to have this ruling over angels. How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. In other words, take the person you think is the least likely to be able to decide, and you guys decide this. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and do, you do this to your brothers. Before I came here, I've been here eight and a half years, but before I came here, there was a lawsuit against this church. And people who should have known better sued this church. And on the day that all of this was supposed to come to fruition, the lawyer who drew up the, this, who was a Christian as well, the, the person who was supposed to be a part of this, died on a Sunday morning of an unexpected heart attack. I'm not saying that God always does that, but folks, this is serious business. And God says, what are you doing? There is no way that a Christian should ever take, especially a church, to court. Look at verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, warning, this is politically incorrect. This no, the whole next phrase is totally politically incorrect. It's biblical, it's godly, it's right, it's true, but it's not popular today. Look at what it says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There are people today that will tell us that we're picking on homosexuals. No, we're picking on sin. He said the immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says the adulterers will not. He says, by the way, he also puts in there the slanderers. That's the same word that's used of gossipers. So if you like to get on the phone, you know, you're saying, no, I'm just getting a prayer request, but you're really gossiping. 
There's 10 different sins here. Look at verse 11. And that is what some of you were, past tense. He says, listen, something has changed. And here's the key for this whole passage. But you were washed, you were sanctified, set apart, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want to look at three things here, very simple things. Number one, you've been washed. We need to have this pure hope because of what Jesus Christ did. You have been washed. The very first word in all of this in Greek is dare. Instead, you know, it's down in the middle of the verse in, in chapter one, uh, verse, chapter 6, verse 1, because we normally don't speak that way. But in Greek, the word placement makes a difference. And he started out, dare you do this? He's outraged over this. We need to understand, Paul took a dim view of Roman justice. He sat for two years in Caesarea Maritime waiting for Felix to release him. There was absolutely no reason for him to be in prison. For two years he sat in, in, the, in prison in Herod's palace in Caesarea Maritime. I've stood in the place where Paul would have stood and he looked out. And we're going to see when we get to 1 Corinthians 9 that he saw the Hippodrome and he saw the races. And, he, and it's one of the reasons that he writes what he did in, in 1 Corinthians. But Paul has, had, has experienced the worst part and will experience more of the worst part of Roman judgment, of Roman court system. Now let me say it again so, so you're absolutely clear. Christians should never take other Christians to court. The things of this life are trivial in the light of eternity. I was watching Restaurant Impossible. Robert Irvin goes into these restaurants that, that are just so messed up. And there was this last week on Sunday night, they, they had an episode where Robert Irvin goes into this restaurant and the, the owner, because of the stress, has already had one heart attack and he's had bypass surgery and he's stressed out and his, he and his wife argue like cats and dogs. And in the middle of them trying, they come in and they, they, they spend $10,000 and they put new tables and new decor and they paint the walls and they make it look pretty and they change the menu and they give the, the chefs a, a quick course on how to cook in a restaurant. And in the middle of all that, while they're trying to decide on the color of the walls, they look out and there's an ambulance pulling up and the owner is sitting there clutching his chest. And somebody says to Robert Irvin, and if you go to the website, you, he said, uh, well, all I knew is somebody was asking me what color the walls need to be, and I thought, who cares if the owner dies? Who cares what color the walls are going to be if the owner dies in the process? He said the most important thing was to get the owner to the hospital and to make sure that he's taken care of. I mean, the color of the wall really was not, it's trivial. And we're living all of our life concerned about the color of the wall when people are falling dead of a heart attack around us. For, and it's a spiritual heart attack. We should be different from those who don't know Christ. He offers those ten sins as categories to let us know. And folks, it may not be politically correct, but God has the very best for us in mind. This is not to be against one class of people or one group of people over the others. He listed the adulterers. He, he listed those who have sex outside of marriage. He lists those that are sexual immoral. The word there is pornea. Guess what we get from that? Pornography. He says all of these things are things that we should not take part in when we come to Jesus Christ. We should be changed. We should be transformed. And then he gives us the hope. And the hope is very clear. You have been washed. Christ removes the stains that we can't get rid of. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, they knew this. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool, or they will be like wool. And Paul is writing to them. He says, don't you remember in Isaiah how the Lord said he would wash you clean? I have a favorite shirt. I, I know guys don't ever do that. Oh, yeah, I do that all the time. I, I had a favorite shirt. It was a gold, kind of a yellowish golf shirt. It was comfortable. It was cool. Not because it looked cool on me, but it was cool. I mean, when it was hot, it felt cool. For some reason, it just it, it, it felt so lightweight, and I loved that shirt, and I wore it. Kathy would say to me, I think you wore that last Monday, and I said, and I'm going to wear it this Monday and next Monday, and, and one day I looked down and I dripped Diet Coke, some of the syrup from the Diet Coke, down the front, as I have been known to do. And it, for some reason, it, it landed on the belly. I'm not sure why that would be. But it, but it was on the front of my shirt, and, and I, I showed it to Kathy, and, and she put some stuff on it, and it didn't come out, and we put some other stuff on it, and we tried this, and we tried that, and we, we did everything we can think of, and I can't wear my favorite shirt. It's stained. It will not come out. The Lord said, you had a stain much worse than that. It's called sin. And it made you clean. Number two, we've been set apart. We've been sanctified. It's the same word for holy. It's agias. It means literally to be set apart. And it's used in three tenses. It's used in the, in the past tense as positional. He gave us a holy standing. He said, you have been sanctified. You have a holy standing. Uh, Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6 says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. So we're dead, he says, but it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us, past tense, up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So even though we are dead in transgressions, even though we're dead in our sin, even though it's as if we're spiritually dead, Jesus Christ has already, past tense, raised us up. Now, how many of you are sitting in heaven right, right now? No, you're sitting in Reading. That's not heaven. Not even close. Okay. He says, I've raised you up in the heavenly places. We have a, a standing. We have a position with God. Tiger Woods, I guess, is having a pretty good weekend. Tiger Woods is a golfer, in case for the one of you that didn't know who that was. He's having a pretty good weekend, and he's been shooting pretty well. But there was a time when Tiger Woods basically was stinking up the golf course. I mean, he just was not playing very well. But long after he was playing badly, he still had a standing of number one. Because of all that he had done in the past, because of all of the games and all of the rounds and the tournaments that he had won, he still had the standing of number one no matter what his golf was like that day. And the Lord says it's not because of what you've done in the past, it's what I've done in the past, what Jesus did in the past on the cross. I've given you a standing that's set apart, that's holy, that's pure. Number two, there's also the practical practice living how Christ sees us. That's Tiger playing today to play up to his standing. It's Tiger Woods playing the kind of golf game that God has given him the ability to do, whether he acknowledges it or not. It's allowing him to play like he's been made to play. And in our practice, in our everyday life, God wants us to, to, to be set apart, to practice living how Christ sees us already in that standing. Is my life set apart for Jesus Christ? We have some dishes in our house. Uh, Kathy is a, is a great person to, to have people over, and, and she just does a wonderful job when we have people over. We have dishes that I get to use. 
And then when those are dirty, we have, well, we actually have some dishes that just the dogs use. But then there, and I think mine are different, I'm not sure. But then there are dishes that I use, and then there are dishes that we use when some company comes over, and then there's dishes like my mom and dad's china that she gave us when she moved out of her house. It's, I don't know, 65 years old. She got it at her wedding, and it's reserved for very, very special times. It's set apart. And John 17, 17 says, in practice, sanctify, set, up, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. When you begin to read this word, when you begin to read the Bible, it sets you apart. It, it makes us different. Do you set apart time daily to read the Bible? Do you set apart daily uh, time to ask the Lord to show us how to love him, how to love others? And then there's a future tense as well. Not only is there the past and the present, but there's also the future because one day our standing and our practice are going to merge. The way that God sees us and the way that we're living is finally going to be the same. 1 John 3, 2 says, What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So we've been washed clean and we've been set apart as something special. Now, that's, it's not always just the china. I have a hammer at my house that is a very special hammer. And you say, how can it be a special hammer? Well, it wasn't a special hammer when, when it was at Sears or Home Depot, wherever I bought it. It wasn't a special hammer. But when I bought that hammer, I began, I, I bought it specifically because we had a work project at the church that I needed a bigger hammer. You know, I had kind of a kid's hammer. This is an adult hammer. It was a carpenter's hammer. It's a bigger hammer. And I, and I got this hammer and I began to work on the church project. And then we went on a mission trip to Jamaica, and I knew that I needed, we were going to build a house, and so I took my big hammer to Jamaica. You always get funny looks when you're checking luggage, and you, they see saws and hammers and drills and things. But that's what the whole mission team that we did, we had 20 of us with all these tools that we took to Jamaica, and I was just going to leave the hammer there. And when we got done with the week and we had finished the house, you know, I, I, I took it and one of the guys who had helped us especially, I, he came up and I said, I want to give you this hammer. He says, oh, I can't take that hammer. I said, what do you mean you can't take the hammer? He says, I can't take that hammer. That's the hammer God gave you to build churches and to build homes for people who don't have churches and homes. He said, that hammer is special. I could never use that every day. I thought, wow. Here's a third one. We've been washed, we've been set apart, we've been restored. It says we were justified, we were declared righteous. What Jesus did on the cross is credited to those of us who needed it, which is every one of us. All who trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin. Jesus Christ, pure, spotless Lamb of God, went to the cross on our behalf. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. One time, Kathy and I, just when the debit card started to get real popular in the, in the grocery stores, where you could use those instead of, you know, you remember standing in line and writing out the checks in line. I know some people still do that. But, you know, most of us now, we just use the debit card. You put it in there, you swipe it, you put your little number in there. You know, and then you ask your wife, is that the right pen number? I don't remember. And then you, then you get, you know, you, the transaction's done. Well, I used the, the debit card, and she swiped it back then. You didn't do it yourself. You, she swiped it, and... Something came up that said error, and I said, 
you know, what happened? She says, it's not you. The machine's just been acting up. It didn't charge anything. And she swiped it again the second time. And I said, are you sure? I mean, this was a big, you know, we were having company over. We had $150 worth of groceries. She says, don't worry. It's not, it's not charging you. It's just, and she swiped it the third time. And I'm going, you know, let's talk about this for a minute. And she says, oh, I'm not, you know, blah, blah, blah. and she swiped it the fourth time. It charges four times. $600 for groceries. And I went to the bank. I was calm, cool, and collected. No, I found it out when checks began to bounce because we don't keep that kind of money. And it's always a good thing when the pastor in town is having his checks bounce. That's always it's well thought of. And I went to the bank, and they, they were, you know, they were aghast. And I went to the grocery store, and the grocery store actually paid for all of the overcharges and, and stuff, and they, and they made sure that it was credited back. My account was justified. All that was owed was paid back. The difference is we weren't owed anything. All that we owed, Jesus paid on our behalf. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, not something that we did, not joining a church, not being good enough, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, what? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's a pure hope in what Jesus Christ did. Now, you know what? We could go and finish the last half, but I don't want to do that. I want to stop right here. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what Jesus did for us. He, you read the rest of the chapter talking about sexual immorality and how we're not supposed to take part in that. And he ends up talking to us about, uh, in verse uh, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Do we understand what happened when we were washed, when we were set apart, when we were justified? Do we understand what we've been given? Do we, do we really grasp how important that is? I read this week that Billy Graham, that someone came to him and, and asked him, what's the biggest regret that you have? I mean, Billy Graham, who there are people in this church who were led to Jesus Christ by the testimony, by the messages of Billy Graham. There are people all over this nation that will one day stand before the throne of God and Jesus will say, you're mine. And it's because of something that Billy Graham did. There, there are people, and when I think regrets, what could it be? And, and I expected maybe he had to be gone so much. Maybe it was being away from his family so much. And, and I thought maybe it was something else. And this is what he said. My only regret is that I didn't pray a one-word prayer earlier in my life. And the reporter said, a one-word prayer? What's the one-word prayer? And he said it was just one word, anything. Anything you want me to do, anywhere you want me to go, anything you want me to say, anything you want me to be, anything you want me to give up, Anything you see that's wrong in me, God, anything. I'll close with this story. 2007, Philip Keller, one of my favorite authors, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace and some other things, 
was heading down the ski slope. He uh, is like some of us older guys. He loves to ski. He just doesn't understand how old and decrepit we are. He'd had a wonderful day of skiing. It was a, it was a beautiful day. He was headed back home. He came around a corner. The, when he had come up on that particular road, the road had been clear, no problem. But when he came back around, for some reason, the snow had melted during the day, and it had covered the road, and it was black ice. And he hit the black ice. He, he twirled three times. He flipped the, the uh, SUV he was in. Skis went flying by him, and boots came out the window, and all of his, his cell phone, he, it took him some time to find it and, it, and it turned over and over, they think five or six times, tumbling over the side of an embankment before it finally came to rest back on its wheels. The top was so crushed in that he had to, to go out the passenger side by kicking the door finally to get it open, and, and he crawled out, and he immediately realized that his, his neck was, was incredibly painful. He, could, he couldn't move it, and he, and he thought, this is not good. And he prayed this prayer. Lord, I don't want to die on this hillside. And I don't want to be like Christopher Reeve, paralyzed from the neck down. Lord, I need your help right now. And he thought, who am I to pray something like that? The God in the universe, with all of that he has going on, who am I to pray something like that? He said it was not 60 seconds at the end of the prayer that he looked up and a man in a white shirt and a, and a black tie came walking down the hill, had seen something, and he came to stop, and, and he said, are, are you okay? And he says, my neck hurts. And he said, I'm, a, I'm an EMT. I normally ride in an ambulance. I'm just heading back from church. Uh, don't move your head. And he immobilized his head. Turned out that he had broken the third vertebra, and he would have been paralyzed from the neck down if he had done much more. Not only that, it was crushed to the point that one of the small bits of bone could have punctured any number of the, the arteries and veins, and he would have bled out. The man was sitting there holding his head still, and he used his phone to call 911, and Philip Keller said he was, just, he was wondering what was going on, and the man said to him, let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus Christ? And Philip Keller said, I think I should be asking you that. The man said, I've been a Mormon, but I'm bothered by some of the things in the church. Can you tell me why you believe what you believe? And Philip Keller said, well, I didn't know for sure if I was going to live to the next day. I explained my hope that I found in Jesus Christ. And he said, the thing that finally got me is when I said to him, you know, Jesus Christ washed everything bad away from me that I've ever done. And the man began to cry, and his tears fell down on Philip's face. And he said, I've been, I've been working so hard to try to be good enough for God to get me. Are you here to tell me that I didn't have to do any of that, that Jesus paid it all on the Christ? And Philip said, that's exactly right. Let me tell you what, folks. We serve an amazing God who washed us, who set us apart, and who paid on our account everything for everything wrong we've ever done. And that is pure hope. Let's pray. What an amazing God you are, Father. It can be on a hillside in Colorado. It can be in a church in Reading. It can be listening to a radio. It can be checking it out on a website. 
But your message gets through. Your message gets through when we can't even imagine how it could. Father, we need to be cleansed. We need to live our life understanding the position you've given us and to try with the power that you instill in us to live that life, not doing it in our own strength, not doing it in our own power, but doing those things you have already done in us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Father, for justifying us, buying us out of the market when we never deserved it. So may we live in such a way that honors you with our bodies, with our lives, with our words, with our actions, with our thoughts, with our intents. May we honor you with all that we are. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.